welcome again to another episode of Film Shots. Film Shots, y'all. And uh, we're really glad to uh, be here with Steve Nemeth, a uh, producer, and we're gonna find out what's going on with him. It's a very rainy day here in rainy Los Angeles. Rainy in Los Angeles. Beach Boys were wrong. They were wrong. And we're out on the terrace of, Jesse's going to uh, pronounce this, I think. Le pain quotidien. Le pain something or other. It's just a, uh, it's a, yeah, it means the daily bread, I think. Somebody can call in and tell us what that means, okay? Very nice place here on Melrose in Beverly Hills, pretty much. Now, I know you guys didn't know who that was speaking, but that was my co-host, Joel Marshall. And this is Dr. Jesse Rines, and we have here Stephen Nemeth. Joel and Jesse show. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. I'm Jesse delighted show. to be on it. And All we are right. glad that you are here. Thank you. Thank you very much. You got, you got quite a quite a career, man. Um, um, but I will, I want to just start off by asking you about your politics because your politics um, are more progressive than I thought they would be. What what is the 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 reason for that? Well, for starters, I'm impressed you know about my politics, A. B, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, and I'm, an, and I'm an insulted that you thought you, you, I'm more, you, that you think I'm more progressive, that I am more progressive than you thought I'd be, because I don't know why you would have thought I would be anything but. But I'll tell you exactly what I think. For starters, I, I mean, uh, I am, I mean, I serve on endless boards, and I'll talk to you about that shortly, and how that actually applies to the movie business. Uh, specifically Amnesty International. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, vis-a-vis uh, -vis politics, whether you're coming from the right or the left, uh, there is one non-negotiable. We can argue all we want about health care, we can all argue all we want about education, and we can argue all we want about, you know, social, social, social security. But the environment is non-negotiable. We all breathe the same air, we all drink the same water, and for whatever reason, the environment has become an issue of the right versus the left. And we have an, no choice, and we have an unbelievable and gargantuan obligation, non-negotiable obligation, to protect the planet. We have got to do that. It is, a, a, it, is, it is in peril. It is basically irreparably damaged. Global warming is real. Um, you know, the, you know, certain unbelievably gorgeous species are already extinct. Things are, mutations are happening with frogs that people from the right are laughing at. Mm -hmm. This is all real. This is not, this is not a joke and this is not something that we can discuss, as George Bush says, 10 years down the line after the study on global warming comes back. It's empirical data that exists, it's real, it's now, it's a crisis. So, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I, I've got to cut you off there because, you know, like, okay, now we're going to interview a friend of mine, Mark Botkin, who is the head of um, Conservation... Um, Cons conservation International? No, not Conservation International. He works with them, um, but with um, Amazon Conservation Team, and we're going to talk with him about those kinds of things. But when you bring up George Bush in this context, I'm afraid I have to play the devil's advocate. Isn't that just a bunch of Hollywood left-wing hooey that you are speaking right now? Not don't? at all. Not at all. I mean, I don't dislike the man. It's just that where he stands as it relates to protecting big business as a, in place of the environment is wrong. At the end of the day, we have to protect the environment first. We have to be shepherds for the environment first. And even, by the way, 
his biggest base, his strongest base, which is the religious right, are now starting to turn on him because there was a campaign last year called "What Would Jesus?" It was titled "What Would Jesus Drive?" Well, what's happening is is that there are a group of, of fundamentalist Christians who are now saying, "Look, we we kind of can't praise the Creator while we decimate the creation. The planet is the creation. We we have to kind of step up here and do the right thing." So. I'm, I'm not even, by the way, there are certain things I feel pretty strongly about on both sides. Um, I am a registered Democrat, but I'm also a really registered Democrat, but I'm a reasonable guy, and, I'm, and, and there are several Republican candidates who I think are fabulous. There are certain things that the, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party are doing wrong, which I... Can very, you tell us who those um, Republican candidates you think are fabulous are? Uh, yeah, I think actually, I think John McCain is a very rational, very reasonable, very decent guy. Um, I think that there are, uh, you know, there are a couple of guys for, I mean, there's a, there's a few pro-choice uh, Republicans who are really, you know, getting their, their, uh, uh, they're getting their asses hands to them, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, I just think it's not, and I don't think it's about left versus right. I think it's about logic. I think it's about human rights and environmental rights. And doing the right thing. I mean, yeah, there's uh, fundamentalism on, on, you know, on, on any extreme is bad, even in as it relates to politics. So, what kind of uh, or extremism? As what it kind of an politics. effect does that have on your work as a producer, as a filmmaker? Um, I know that you work for Rhino Pictures. Yeah, that's my company. It's called Rhino. Yeah, Rhino Films and so Television. It's your your company. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I've, I'm partnered with the guys that started the record company, Harold Bronson and Richard Foos. They uh, have gone since gone on to do other things, but it was started as a division of Rhino Records, which is this amazing iconoclastic record label that they started years ago, which ultimately got purchased by uh, Time Warner and the Warner Music Group. But um, so we spun off the, the movie company, and it's. Very exciting to have a special branded company to do some, I think, important things with and do the right thing by. Can you tell me about the one second film? A one second film um, is uh, the brainchild of a guy named Nervon who came up with an idea to uh, to make a one second film more uh, of a, it's basically a gimmick that is designed to create an enormous amount of attention for a cause. Um, and it's brilliant. Um, there's a board uh, consisting of myself, a woman named... Uh, uh, a woman named... Who is it, actually? Um, um, who is we it? Will uh, 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 yeah, we will find it. We can find it. I, I just read it yesterday. Yeah, uh, you did. Well, well, we'll post well, it on our website uh, if we don't think of no, it. No, there's the, there's the legendary cinematographer, Albert Mazels, myself, and... Um, Who is it? There's a third... Well, it'll cut off. All right, I'll, I'll just blurt it out yeah, in one a minute. We'll, we'll um, get it. This always happens, usually to me. Uh, all right. <laughs> and we're putting, you know, and, and Nirvana has got, uh, at this point, he's selling producer credits for between a dollar and ten dollars. He a dollar and a hundred dollars or something like that. More than one second. Yeah, film. yeah. Mm -hmm. He has several thousand producers. He's he's photographed most of them, signing their producer deals. He's got some legendary people. Uh, Julie Taymor, by the way, is the oh, third Julie person. Oh, Julie Taymor. Um, the, the great, the great Julie Taymor, um, who I've only met once. She's lovely. Um, 
and what and also Nir Jules Engel had something to do with this, right? The uh, yes. animator who yes. passed away recently, yes. I think. Uh, but go on. The One Second Film is a, is a cause-related film. It's essentially as fi film is basically 24 frames per second. What he, what Nirvana has done is he got 12 artists to do 12, actually 24 photograph paintings. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 paintings. Each one of them will make up a twelfth of a second, um, or no, or two. Well, so he's giving them two. T he's he's the, the the twelve seconds. The twenty-four frames per second will consist of a quick flash of twelve, very very famous, very not not very famous yet, but very meaningful arts of pieces of art, which will go on auction after the movie is premiered. The the documentary itself is the road to. The one second film, which is this oh, incredible, okay. you know, okay. this oh, inc incredible opportunity to interview a lot of people about certain things. There's a lot of humor there, which is a great way to convey a message without boring the crap out of people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the documentary, does the one second film screen? The one second screen films at the beginning. Oh, at the beginning. At the beginning. I and think we got to about. show it more than and the once. And the credits are 90, or 90 minutes. But now these are all linked together somehow. All of these paintings, somehow, all of the. Um, these, these paintings have a similar or complementary theme, and they are somehow melanged. Yeah. We'll, well, the say. theme, the the theme I is essentially. Uh, we asked um, them to take take it the, off, but you know these Hollywood. The theme, too. well, <laughs> the theme, the theme is remains the same uh, because the the actual angle is a violence against women campaign, <laughs> which is uh, ultimately our goal to draw attention to a cause. And what's it's the thing important. about the orgasm, a woman's orgasm, and it has something to do with this? Well, it's, you know, Nirvana is so, and, and Ben Goldhirsch, his partner on this, are such, are so, are, are so much more well-versed at this and so much more intimately involved <laughs> than I, that I would suggest you actually put a session together with them. Okay, that's um, a good idea. And, and, have, and then have them talk to you about it because I, I wouldn't want to do anything but make them proud. So, um, but they're great. And I mean, I, I love this film. I just, I think that from his point of I think hearing it from his point of view is probably the most, I don't know, the fairest way to convey. So what we'll do is we'll ask Steve Nemeth to hook us up with them. Yes. Yeah. And that is the way networking works well, yes. actually, in Hollywood. What that is, you know, I'm a social scientist, so this is actually the snowball interviewing approach. That's right. Ah, I like it. In yeah. fact, I will tell you a very interesting uh, anecdote, if we have time. Sure, sure of course. Uh, speaking of this, I was, I'm was i involved in a documentary on the legendary uh, Bud Schulberg, who was What Makes Sammy Run. He was the... Mm -hmm. Uh, he he was nominated for, uh, or may have won an Academy Award for, I should know this, for uh, On the Waterfront. And he also started something called the Watts, the Watts Writers Workshop in L.A. Oh, wow. in 1965. Great. And he came out right after the uh, Watts riots as a fairly well-known writer. And he wanted to figure out something that he could contribute, and he went right into the belly of the beast, and he started to talk to people, and he said, what can I do? And I said, I don't know, what can you do? He said, well, I write, so if you guys want to, you know, I can come to this church tonight, and you can let people know that I'd be happy to talk to them about writing and creative writing and whatever. Well, what happened there was it spawned what's called the Watts Writers Workshop, and, there's, and it's actually flourishing now, and it has spawned some of the greatest writers and poets of our time. Interestingly enough, I was interviewing him with Al Maisel's shooting, of the, one of the guys on the board, coincidentally, of the one-second film, in my office about a year ago. 
and I'm in the middle of production also on a Latin baseball documentary directed by a guy named Alan Swire. Now, Alan Swire has been obsessed with the Watts Writers Workshop for years and has said to me his next film is going to be a film on the Watts Writers Workshop. Oh, that's great. So it suddenly dawned on me that he needs to meet uh, the creator, the founder of the Watts Writers Workshop. Mm -hmm. During an interview on camera of Bud Schulberg, I called Alan Swire on his cell phone. I said, Alan, what are you doing now? He said, I just got in from a run and I'm sweaty and whatever. I said, don't bother changing. Get to my office right now. I want you to meet somebody and don't even ask. Get here. He said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Alan Swire walks into my office and on camera, I said to the cameraman, I'd like you to meet Alan Swire. He's not only directing my Latin baseball documentary, but he's actually directing a documentary on the Watts Writers Workshop. And I wanted to introduce him to Bud Schulberg, the creator of the Watts Writers Workshop, which I did on camera. All right. Wow. The subject, the That's creator, great. the documentarian, mm -hmm. the, do the filmmaker, the writer. At which point, the camera focused on the two of them. They, they met on camera and essentially um, Bud got the opportunity to talk to on camera to the filmmaker about the genesis of the Watts Writers Workshop, is which is it's it's priceless footage for the spine of the documentary Absolutely. about the Watts Writers Absolutely. Workshop. Absolutely. Uh, Anyhow, it's you do great stuff, man. It was so fair. how did you get in, into all of this? It sounds to me like you should have been a, a, a congressman. Um, dealing with progressive issues rather than a, a, a filmmaker. Well, I would love to be, actually. I'm dyslexic, which is a bit of a problem. Ah, so I'd yeah, have to... yeah. You'd write all the bills backwards. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that what happens anyway, though? Yeah, I'd get everybody's numbers wrong. <laughs> I'd say, I'd, I'd call and start screaming, and I'd realize I'd be screaming at, the, you know, just screaming at some animal rights activist when I was, <laughs> when I was trying to na nail somebody else. But... Um, I think that, you know, interestingly enough, um, more than ever the movie business and the film and the television business has uh, been used as a platform for causes, both on the left and on the right, you know, very clearly with Fox Television on the right and very clearly, for instance, with, uh, you know, most of the movies nominated for Best Picture this year. This year, you know, absolutely. And each and every one of them has a cause and is about something and is mm -hmm. thought-provoking and taking on issues that are really, quite frankly, Pretty racy, mm -hmm. um, but we have a, in a weird way, we have a responsibility uh, and, and an obligation to, to not only entertain, but to entertain in a way that actually affects change, um, which is why uh, you know I'm involved in starting a media division of Amnesty International with okay, three other partners, great. Bonnie Abanza, uh, Mario Tafur, and a guy named Jeff Siegel, because we will be promoting human rights causes, Excellent. both in an entertaining and meaningful, you know, So are you you're saying that these will be, Am Amnesty International will be um, executive producing theatrical feature-length films for money that have a real desire, underlying desire, to improve the conditions of, of humans on the, on this earth. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, they're not necessarily executive producing. Amnesty will bless this entity, mm -hmm. which is a, uh, a company that will ha essentially create, uh, develop, produce, acquire um, projects with a human rights theme, whether it be television or documentaries or features. Um, and there will be a hybrid model, the majority of the profits going to the human rights causes. There are, for instance, 47,000 current wow. amnesty cases. Now, if we 
we wouldn't be able to in a lifetime, but if we developed 1% of those, which is a 47, uh, what, cases, 400... What do you mean by cases? It, it, case, I mean cases. There's a, like... Suits in uh, court? Uh, all, it's open cases, whether they're suits or they're actual um, uh, pr prisoners of conscience who we are monitoring, or what have we, meaning Amnesty, who we're monitoring. For instance, um, currently we're monitoring the conditions of a woman in, in Burma, Aung San Suu Kyi, who is, you know, basically under house arrest. And that's now um, Miran, how do, you, how do you say the new name of um, Burma? But in in any event, um, we uh, we you know we helped market and help get out Hotel Rwanda. That's a film okay. that that uh, even MGM excellent. gave us credit for helping okay. you know double the box office mm -hmm. on. So we realized we have a real voice, both nationally and internationally, mm -hmm. and a true following and some really really high profile people involved. And why not you know figure out a way to start telling these stories? And that's the best way. Uh, on camera, essentially, to tell these stories and get people interested with an action plan to follow up. Um, I'll give you an interesting example of a movie that came my way uh, that um, that will get made by uh, uh, a really tenacious producer by the name of uh, John Arrakis, uh and a lovely guy in London, um, his producing partner, who's uh, uh, t total delight. Um, and possibly me, but it was a movie on uh, about um, uh, Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan being probably the world's most famous lumberjack. And I read this script, which I actually thought was terrific, um, about a year ago. And it suddenly occurred to me, and I, I said to the guys, I said, you know, this is a really good piece of material, and it probably will get made, but it would be uh, not only irresponsible, but it would be foolish to miss the opportunity to make this movie without addressing issues of deforestation, the decimation of the Absolutely. rainforest, Absolutely. global warming, global warming, etc. It not only gives the film gravitas that we ultimately, that it didn't or wouldn't have had we not tackled it, but it might actually get maligned if it didn't tackle right. those things. I don't think it would. And we have an opportunity to tie it into a campaign for children to learn more about the environment, mm -hmm. for a percentage of profits for every ticket sold mm -hmm. to go to, let's say, um, to go to, let's say, you know, planting trees all over the world, or you know, for every ticket sold, we plant right. a tree, etc. So. Um, the other thing is, is that there isn't a specific spokesperson for the planet, mm -hmm. but through this movie we could actually create um, the Blue Ox Babe, played by the voice of Eddie right. Griffin, mm -hmm. and the character who plays Paul Bunyan, uh, we could create and, and essentially position them to become spokespersons for the planet, which not only not only allows right. us to shoot public service awareness this is campaigns. Kind of like Smokey, Smokey the the bear and um, for forest fires. Oh yeah. The symbol for forest fires. Well, we need one for the planet. That's what he's saying. Yeah, I think that's good. good I idea. definitely I want to address that Smokey yeah. the bear deal in a second. Um, what's interesting also is that you know we could create these public awareness campaigns while we're shooting the movie, but. We also can very selfishly use them to help market the movie, mm -hmm. so everybody wins. You know, um, it becomes a really, really cool marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. That's the right thing to do. With respect to Smokey the Bear, a lot of people think that Smokey the Bear was created by uh, the Forestry Service, mm -hmm. and logical. But uh, my understanding is, and you listeners can 
do a little bit of Googling and find out if I'm actually uh, accurate about this. But and let us know. You know how to reach us at? Filmshots at filmshots.net. Right. But my, my understanding is is that Smokey the Bear was actually created by the lumber business, the forest, the, 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 the actual logging business, uh, as a way to prevent forest fires to preserve the trees long enough for them to cut them down and sell them. So it's not necessarily, the genesis of Smokey is not necessarily a benevolent, uh, a benevolent thing. Uh, I'm not trying to be a cynic. I'm just trying to throw out there what I've been told, and maybe there is some truth to it. If there is, well, if that, that transformation would be a, a really good transformation because it'd be used for something that's good. Mm -hmm. I think that we could see smoking in Haiti, where all of the forests have been um, wiped away. They're leaving in in Brazil, um, and it's amazing in the Dominican Republic, a country I visit often. Um, there are trees everywhere. There are forests everywhere on Haiti, which is the other part of the island there's almost no trees. And this is because, strangely enough, even Dominican dictators have wanted to preserve the ecology of that island. And so it still has a real lush undergrowth in vegetation. It's funny, I actually saw a photograph of the border between oh, yeah. the two, where mm -hmm. it, was, it, it went from lush to barren. To nothing, absolutely. It's, it's amazing. It's true, it's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. I think Steve brings up a, a really interesting debate that we've been having about filmmaking. Uh, in various interviews, and that is about do you just make films to make money, or do you make them because you have a passion for a particular topic, or is it a little bit of both? I think that the everybody wins idea that he has seems Maybe like we the can, way to um, go. Maybe we can entertain that, that question and ask him about some of his um, other films, other projects that, that he's worked on, how he's felt about, about those. Um, Fear and Loathing. For instance, um, yeah. Tell us about tell that. Tell us about that. I saw that film, and I mean, I thought it was an amazing film, and I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan. But afterwards, I I was ill. I mean, I felt a little bit nauseous mm -hmm. because it, it affected me in such a way, and I think it's just because I felt like these guys who were on a bender, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe you're a pussy. Yeah, I'm a, maybe I'm a pussy. That's a, that's a possibility. <laughs> no, actually, I think there was a line in there that said something like, not for the faint of heart. And maybe yeah. it's even in the book. Yeah, it could be me. Uh, could be me. They were, yes, it was directed towards you, Joel. <laughs> um, I, I, let me backtrack for one second. Yes, there is there. you can make movies um, for uh, that just simply entertain and make money, but you can also throw in, without impugning the integrity of, uh, of anything, or or even selling them out, you can actually make almost anything have a purpose. Uh, and I'm not talking about preaching, I'm, I'm talking about just like do the right thing, you right. know? Because, uh, uh, you know, religion I won't even touch because that's a hot spot. You know, I really believe that, you know, the tremendous, I, I just believe that uh, that's the source of a lot of the, uh, the world's hot spots, mm -hmm. you know, the theological wars. So I don't want to touch that hot potato. Well, I also no. think it takes a certain amount of uh, skill as a, as, a, as a producer to put together something that you feel passionate about and that you also feel like is going to make some money. Yeah. I mean, that takes a, a well, real... It's also, that's a very good point because at the end of the day, if, uh, if you don't make money, you can't continue you can't to have continue, a voice. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's you have to figure to get out... You have to have to figure out a balance of, of commerce and, and art and, and, and decency. And I think that, you know, look, if all, if all you're about is making movies that matter, that's fine. But you have to understand some of them won't profit. You have to have the wherewithal to actually endure that storm. 
one of the great guys in this business now is uh, is one of the f uh, former founders of eBay, a gentleman named Jeff Skoll, who started a company called Participant Pictures. And you know, he has been involved. He's touched almost you know like a half a dozen of the great films this year. Uh, you know, Good Night and Good Luck and uh, Syriana and and uh, North Country. And he's doing the right thing, um, putting his money where his mouth is. He can inf he he can not, he can afford to take a loss, but it's not his intention to take a loss. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's really, really, really uh, tackling some wonderful subjects. Some of the, he's completely bankrolling some of those projects. Uh, right? I don't know the actual structure. Of the deal. I, you know, I've met with uh, him and his group and Amnesty on a number of occasions, and I think that he is co-funding a bunch of movies. I think that I think that I'm sure he's writing the check for a lot of the smaller docs that they're doing. Um, but they're, you know, they're doing the right thing, and they've got a follow-up action plan. They're doing a lot of stuff with George Clooney and Steve Soderbergh, who I couldn't be, you know, more desperate to be in business with. They're just such talented, good guys who do the right thing always. It's just mind-blowing, and that's not a, a shameless pitch to do that. I'm just saying I'm. It's my way of saying I respect them tremendously. I think that's an important thing um, to say. We have to be able to say that without feeling that, you know, we'll be selling out or that we'll be just buying Yeah, can't be afraid to say good yeah, things about people. Say yeah. good things. That's for, yeah. for damn sure. Um, but uh, anyhow, to get back to the, uh, the, the question of fear and loathing, actually. Um, fear and loathing is interesting. You know, it's an interesting saga in my life. I'm actually going to remake it as an animated feature. Oh, uh, and probably spin it off into an animated series very soon. The term fear and loathing has become a total catchphrase, a total, you know, almost a brand in, in, in our lexicon. And um, it started out first and foremost, and a lot of people don't really understand this, as a true story. The first article of fear and loathing in Las Vegas appeared in, in Rolling Stone magazine, and it was Hunter Thompson essentially... Uh, uh, making the argument to Jan Wenner, his editor at Rolling Stone magazine, that he needed to take Oscar Acosta, who was the, the which was who, who was the real the, the character that was uh, the big Simone was based on. He needed to get him out of town to get the real story about what was going on. And at the time, what was going on is that Oscar Acosta, a civil rights lawyer, was representing uh, Ruben Salazar, a, a Chicano journalist who. Uh, was being indicted by the FBI or uh, being tried by, uh, tried for, and I don't remember exactly what he was being tried for at the time. Forgive me, I'll have to do a little research. But in any event, it was a real story. It was a real guy representing a very, very significant guy in Oscar, in uh, Ruben Salazar, and Hunter wanted to get his story. In true gonzo journalistic fashion, they got into the car, they drove off to Vegas, they started to, you know, take some mind-altering drugs, and clearly the story took uh, a, a different turn, which, which is basically how fear and loathing happened. So it was a, it was a very real, very important uh, story. What was that like putting that project together? Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's always an amazing thing and great news when Terry Gilliam becomes your director. Um, it did mean, however, that you know that years of work going, uh, uh, you know, that sort of approaching this, the years of work that went into getting us to that point were almost over because you know he's a very, very strong-willed guy who does essentially his own thing. You get you, you get in business with a guy like that, and you pretty much understand that it's his show at that point. You know, um, but a, an amazing, talented 
guy, Alex Cox, who was going to direct the film up until the point Terry came on, um, would have done, I think, a fine job as well. It would have been a, a different movie. Um, not necessarily better or worse, it would have been a different experience. Um, Alex Cox yeah. is the director of Sid and Nancy. Correct. Various other really mm -hmm. great movies. Yeah. And he and uh, and his writing partner are are actually credited with co-screenplay. They actually received the co-screenplay co credit with mm -hmm. Terry and again with Tony Grisani. Mm -hmm. Well, we're um, getting near the end of the program now, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're, we're getting, getting the there. And, um, you know, like we've been talking ab about um, a lot of political events, we've been talking about film, we haven't, you know, like really gone into to art, we haven't even touched on your personal life, like um, what's all the stuff that you don't want us to know? Tell us something. Tell that, us something that you don't want us to know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the, the, probably the thing I, w I don't want you to know most is how difficult it is for me to have a bowel movement. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so um, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's about the, I have no. You secrets. know something, but the thing is that really ties right into our health food segment. Sir, are you doing any anything to, to 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 work with that? I. By the way, I don't mean that to be crude. I mean that right. in the spirit of total and that's complete. That's very good. I, really I appreciate that. Happening. Total and complete uh, um, censorship-free interview. You know, that's I have nothing to hide. It. I love it. So, uh, and by the way, it isn't that tough. <laughs> I find that uh, bran works. I have been taking fiber. Fiber, any kind of fiber, it's good. I, you know, as much as I like to, you know, to curb my coffee intake in the morning, I think that helps the most. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. I love coffee. It's a stimulant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Do you do any kind of uh, health regimen, or do you do yoga, or anything? Um, it's so funny. I can run marathons, but but and everybody has said my my life will be turned around if I do yoga and. Most people in my life have said it would calm you and change you, you know, and make you a better person. And I try, but I, I gotta tell you, it's really tough. I'd love to be more disciplined about it, but I find it to be a brutal workout. Yeah, yeah, and I I'm, find that too. And I'm not as limber as I'd like to mm -hmm. be. I think it also requires a lot of patience. A uh, lot of times. Let me just backtrack about that bowel movement comment. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive me for offending anybody, but actually, at the end of the day, it's really, you know, it's our basic bodily function, and we shouldn't be embarrassed about it. Well, and we're, a lot we're of, going to talk about it. If we have to cut it out, then Oh, we we're not cutting it. that out. No <laughs> and, way. And it's really, and a lot of people... It's real. A lot of kids, basically, are, you know, like, embarrassed and ashamed to talk um, about it, and they hold it in at summer camp or whatever, and, mm -hmm. it, you know... Well, I mean, zero, we have a culture nine. that, you know, like, frowns on um, um, sharing of anything that has to do with reproductive anything and they have reproductive organs in that area so it's um, something that we, we hide and yeah. run away from yeah well i have no secrets i mean i, I pretty much can tell you i have anything to hide <laughs> <laughs> That's great. um and i uh i love talking about i want things. to know about the, the marathons you run in marathon yeah i ran in the first six la marathon out of here do you yeah. train for that have you trained for that or do well um Oddly enough, I give a little airtime to my my wonderful, wonderful producer friend Dylan Sellers on the Warner Brothers lot, and my wonderful, wonderful uh, legal eagle friend Doug Mark at Barnes Morris Klein Yorn and Mark in Santa Monica. They are my two high well, my two childhood buddies who decided with me, literally mm, three days before the first marathon, that we should just do it. All right. So we signed wow. up for it. Uh, late notice, and we chowed down on a lot of pasta the yeah. night before, mm -hmm. and collectively we went out and tackled it. 
Uh, we all finished it. I finished it first, I might add. Um, in under four hours, which isn't, you know, anything to brag about on the surface, but it's not a bad time to yeah. to just go for it with no training. My other buddies were... a week would be good for me. They were a little more thrashed at the end of the day. I know Doug had to do some acupuncture to get to me. To <laughs> I did the Portland Marathon, and I, and I did train for it, and I found it very difficult to walk the next day. I did too. <laughs> Especially what, what up it? or downstairs. Was it 26 miles there too? 26 miles, yeah. 26.2. Right, right. But it was amazing. By the way, for those of you who are like having some sort of, I don't know, impasse in your life, when I rounded mile 18, which was known as the wall in the marathon, and everybody said, be careful of the wall. When you hit the wall, you're going to freeze up and blah, 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 blah. Well, I hit that 18th mile, and I thought, this is the wall? Well, I think I'm feeling pretty good. And I, I just sort of blazed right through that wall, and I realized at that point, if I can finish this thing, I can do anything. Yeah, I, right. it was really uh, right. so it was very, inspiring. Very, very inspiring. very inspiring. And also, it was inspiring to see all the other people out there running it. Yeah. People of all shapes and sizes. You know, I expected everybody was going to be like, in, you know, look yeah. like a, a, a marathon runner, but no, they looked like everybody. Yeah. And, and, also, just the feeling of like, wow, I can do this. Yeah. I have never run 26.2. Yeah. And by the way, anybody listening who is handicapped, you can do it in a wheelchair. Anybody who can't really run, you can do it on a bicycle. You can walk it if you want. Um, you know, I rode I wanna... the New York, the route of the New York uh, Marathon on bicycle in preparation for the marathon. I want to take this opportunity to plug this movie called Emmanuel's Gift. It's a movie about this. Uh, about people who do just this, who are who are missing a leg or two legs, and they run marathons, they run Ironman competitions. So check this out. It's called Emmanuel Gift. So maybe Emmanuel's Joel, that's Gift. your film shot. My is Emmanuel's film shot Gift is, your film shot? That's my film shot. Watch this movie. Watch this and be this inspired. Because because uh, whenever you say you know I can't do something, after you see this movie, you'll be like, well, I guess I don't really have an excuse. <laughs> well, I I really think that. Has given me um, um, a, a different film shot than I originally thought of, um, and it has to do with the, the globe. To really think about the Earth, to really think about um, political issues when you make your films, to figure out where you can put them in your film. Don't just go out to make money, um, but you should not deny yourself. Well, right yeah. to make Always remember either. that you are making a, some kind of communication right. to a lot of people. Um, and um, there are ways of making things so that they are more earth-friendly now. Let me ask oh, you about yeah. that. What, what ways will the filmmaker consider? Well, for starters, I'm, I think, and I'm sorry to say to my friends at Kodak and Fuji, that film is going to be on its way out, and film itself and the processing of film is, uh, is an environmental disaster. Right. Um, there are also many, many ways in which to make films more environmentally friendly. For starters, the generators that are running on diesel can now run on vegetable oil, or always have been able to be running on jet vegetable oil. We just need to educate people. In fact, one of the movies I'm doing is called Fields of Fuel. Go to fieldsoffuel.com and look up uh, Josh Takel's genius film about how uh, diesel engines were always designed at the turn of the century to run on vegetable oil. 85% um, cleaner, burning, no CO2 emissions, blah, blah, blah. We obviously can, you know, we can recycle on movie sets. We don't need to use 19, you know, 
uh, styrofoam cups a day. We can have our own mugs. Mm -hmm. um, we can think about ways in which to shoot in uh, locations that A, need us, Absolutely. B, don't require as much travel. Right. Um, we as, you know, the movie stars out there can start thinking about um, not having necessarily a private jet taking you from point A to point B, but ride with everybody else, your own limo is not necessary, ride with everybody else. You don't need a 70-foot trailer, you can do a 20-foot trailer, Right. you know? Um, there are many, many, many ways. There are a couple of actors in this in this world. Let me plug Alicia Silverstone for a second. Excellent. Um, probably more than any single actor out there. Uh, She's amazing. Is just yeah. constantly dogging people time and, yeah. about doing the right thing. Fantastic. Always, always. Alicia, you are the queen, the belle of the ball, rock on, whatever. I mean, everybody goes support everything she ever does from now until the end of time. Um, that's not to say that there aren't other warriors out there, but she's really, 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 you know, so authentic and so real. Um, I didn't finish up my point about fear and loathing. You asked me oh, about it. I'm going I'm to do, it. do it. It is All a right. it is a political movie. Okay. It is a it is a comedy also. So to 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 actually create a series about uh, in and around it, in in and basically have in, embrace the spirit of its humor, we'll be able to tell from week to week stories about what's going on on the planet because these two journalists mm -hmm. can go anywhere particularly if we're animating it we can mm -hmm. send them anywhere right. and we will be able to tell in an animated funny tale very very important uh, really current events about what are going on on this planet today it can be fear and loathing you know as as local as the marches uh, uh, in in downtown LA last weekend uh, from you know um, undocumented people to the you know what's going on in Darfur or what have you, you can go anywhere with these two characters and really have some fun and really tell some stories and these stories will resonate with people if they're actually entertained and if it's not force-fed to them as a as like a history lesson the, the the classic example was the movie Amistad totally well intended totally important on so many levels but most critics said it was fed to us like a lesson rather than a piece of entertainment and you know, I'm sure the filmmakers, well, the filmmakers, one of the greatest of all time, Steven Spielberg, one of the great humanitarians of all time, would probably, well, he probably, I don't know how I could put words in his mouth, but I would think that they would like to revisit that next time or have learned from that uh, and could, could make it more accessible if they had a chance to do it over again. Um, and, the, and, and what I was talking about with respect to the Paul Bunyan movie, when I said it would be crazy not to make this movie in 2005 or six, about the world's most famous lumberjack without addressing these huge issues of deforestation and the global decimation. That's a really, really great idea. Well, we went in and we actually did an that's Enviro rewrite. So I mean, that means that movie travels around the globe. It can be easily translated. It's animated, so you can really put words in whatever the local tongue is. And it, by the way, it the draft that came back that in basically addressed these issues made it stronger and more interesting. It didn't take away from anything. It's very, very, uh, it's very important to note that anything you read, even if it's a, a silly college, you know, comedy or a parody or a horror film can address something of value down the line, you know? That is, that's great. That's a beautiful note to end okay. on, too, I'll tell you.
Well, we want to thank you, Steve. Wonderful. This is, yeah, this has been really something else, and I appreciate you taking your time. He's a very busy man. Nah. And, uh, That's pretty clear. <laughs> coming out here on a rainy day and, and giving us that kind of inspiration is really great. Well, if you have any questions for Steve or for us, please email us at filmshots at filmshots.net. That's right. Is there anything else you want to say? I just want to say I was delighted to be here, and you guys are terrific, and what you're doing is great, and you couldn't be sweeter, and you're handsome, bright, wonderful guys. And for those of you who are looking for visuals, maybe they'll put their pictures out there. Maybe. 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 But maybe. just for now, know that, you know, I'm feeling like, you know, a little less than GQ, if you know what I'm saying, because <laughs> these guys are totally happening. Yeah. All right. And smart and cool. Hey, thanks. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank See you, you next time. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.